Again and again, the orcs gained the summit of the outer wall, and again the defenders cast them down. At last Aragorn stood above the great gates, heedless of the darts of the enemy. As he looked forth, he saw the eastern sky grow pale. Then he raised his empty hand, palm outward, in token of parley. The orcs yelled and jeered. Come down, come down, they cried. If you wish to speak to us, come down. Bring out your king. We are the fighting Urukai. We will fetch him from his hole if he does not come. Bring out your skulking king. The king comes or stays at his own will, said Aragorn. Then what are you doing here, they answered. Why do you look out? Do you wish to see the greatness of our army? We are the fighting Urukai. I looked out to see the dawn, said Aragorn. What of the dawn, they jeered. We are the Urukai. We do not stop the fight for day or night, for fair weather or for storm. We come to kill by sun or moon. What of the dawn? None knows what the new day shall bring him, said Aragorn. Get you gone, ere it turn to your evil. Get down or we will shoot you from the wall, they cried. This is no parley. You have nothing to say. I have still this to say, answered Aragorn. No enemy has yet taken the Hornburg. Depart, or not one of you will be spared. Not one will be left alive to take back tidings to the north. You do not know your peril. So great a power and royalty was revealed in Aragorn as he stood there alone above the ruined gates before the host of his enemies, that many of the wild men paused and looked back over their shoulders to the valley, and some looked up doubtfully at the sky. But the orcs laughed with loud voices, and a hail of darts and arrows whistled over the wall as Aragorn leaped down. The Way Lesser Inklings podcast attempts to pay homage to the great writers, thinkers, and philosophers of the 20th century known as the Inklings, and to try to inspire a love for reading literature and finding the good, the true, and the beautiful in the written word. Welcome back to the Way Lesser Inklings podcast. My name is Josh Rice. I'm one of your hosts, and with me again is my brother, Jake. Hello. There he is. He's your other host, and it's it's been a while this time. It's... It's almost like real life has happened, and uh-huh. we hadn't got back to this important work <laughs> in a while. I think sickness has made its way through. There's been a church being planted. There's been a sister in town. All this kind of stuff that you know people don't care about. But uh-huh. I think I think this one this one is uh it's been a while getting to you, but I I hope that it's going to be a good one. I'm pretty excited to talk about it, and that is the chapter that's called Helms Deep. So as is customary, I'm going to pass it off to you, Jake, and give us the structure of this thing, the narrative overview, all that good stuff. Yeah. Um, so I kind of, just right out of the gate, I feel like this chapter is just a, you know, it's a 98 mile an hour pitch right down the middle. It's just a straight fastball. I don't see, like, I'm not saying there aren't themes, but it's not, I don't think it has some of the um, depth of theme that we've seen in in a lot of the chapters that we've been examining um having said that does it make it any less tantalizing um mm-hmm. because i think that i think that tolkien flexes his action muscles here where we've seen little snippets and he's been really great at building suspense you know you think of scenes um like the battle at weathertop right that's really intense but not not a not a lot happens <laughs> in it as far as action goes um, scene with the Balrog and stuff like that, which is also a really short scene. And this is a, mm-hmm. basically this whole chapter is, is a battle. Yeah. And yeah. And so, um, so I kind of wanted to start with that. Um, having said that, I think we still do have kind of a breakdown of the chapter. We, I think we broke it down a little differently. Um, but there's, there's some similar themes. So 
uh, I'm going to say my outline so then I can kind of get through the narrative and then we'll come back around. Okay. So I, I, I saw it as um, a buildup, uh, the battle, and then <laughs> the brightness <laughs> at the end. <laughs> I just had to, had to do it. Nice. Um, <laughs> and so uh, the buildup is essentially the, uh, of course, the buildup to a battle. Um, the men of Rohan are marching west. Uh, they're actually moving toward Isengard to engage the enemy head on, uh, where they encounter uh, a, a rider um, who's escaped, you know, warfare with the orcs and and instructs them to move further west to Helm's Deep so that they can defend the keep um, and have a stronger defense against uh, an enemy that was a much greater force than they reckoned. Um, and so they do that. They, they march on to Helm's Deep, which is renowned in Rohan for being uh being a wall that's never been breached by the enemy um that was originally held by helm the hammerhand uh and is now marshaled by the captain named Erkenbrand. um and so they they march over uh and and take refuge and set the battle um recruit everyone that's available to defend the wall uh and then the battle commences and um i won't spend as much time there i mean I think the movie does great justice to the battle. Mm-hmm. And so visually, I think that's, that is a good reference point for us. Um, it's a really, it's a really intense scene and there are some things that, that we'll want to talk about with that, but it's, it's a pretty heavy battle. Um, yeah. And then we finish with the brightness, which is uh, right before the dawn, Aragorn stands upon the wall uh, and implores the orcs to leave because they don't know what the dawn holds and that, basically says leave now and you can escape with your lives which they see as a joke (laughs) because uh the wall has been crumbling uh through the dark night um as that happens the horn of helm sounds the riders ride forth and another bright white rider uh, approaches um with another force of men uh from from the north i believe and basically pin and kill the enemy or drive him into another mysterious force uh, a copse of trees that wasn't there before <laughs> <laughs> yes the moving then, trees <laughs> the moving trees so there we are that was maybe my longest <laughs> narrative in a while yeah it's 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 interesting because it, it is a long chapter but a lot of the chapter is is about the fight itself and tolkien does spend a lot of time with strategy and tactics about setting up place, like what the fortress is set up like. And and then he kind of goes into the exploits of Aragorn and Gimli and Legolas. Really, he focuses in on them. And then we get we get Theoden at the end. So I was going to jump off because I had, you know, I'm a simpleton and I, I guess I'm showing my leanings towards Presbyterianism a little bit and not, not doing the alliteration. I was thinking it was <laughs> wizards and kings, but I definitely see your structure as the first part of the chapter and build up. And what I saw right away is that we get another another sampling of kind of celestial bodies and then talking about Saruman and how Saruman operates. And I know mm-hmm. in, in the pregame I told you, I think that Saruman basically has just become a little Mordor here. He's He's so far gone. We get to see by what his servants are that they are they curse. It's it's just like the Urukai chapter, where they're mm-hmm. harsh. They're singing crude songs. They're just hacking and slashing everything in their way. But it was interesting to me that the way this chapter that's going to be so dark starts, right? Because it's going to be night for the entire chapter until the very end. 
but it, it starts as saying the sun was already westering and the light of it was in their eyes. And I just took note that, that the king of this land and the future king of all these lands is riding into the sun. Like the sun is going west, like the sun does. But I think there's this this image in play that that the kings are going into the west here. The west is going to loom up a couple of times in this chapter. And then what you get right after that is that you have the sun and the brightness going into the west. And then you have basically what Saruman's doing, which is putting a veil and heaviness and like a suffocating deadness over the whole region. And this is going to be a foreshadow and really kind of a, kind of a mimicry of what Sauron is going to do in the return of the king when, when he basically just darkens the entire world. But, Mm -hmm. but Saruman is able to, to use his power to try to, you know, to try to keep the keep his enemies from being able to see anything. But notably, as as we also have have talked about with Saruman, he's not there in this chapter. He makes mm-hmm. no appearance. He is he's staying in his tower, and it might have been better for him if he had come. As we get further in the book, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, no, and I think and I think that our you know our outlines aren't aren't far apart because there are themes of. Um, you know, like you said, the heavenly bodies are, are indicators of what's going on. I mean, I don't think, I don't think it's a coincidence that they're riding into the Western sun, uh, that's setting in the battle. Like the battle element of this is repeatedly, um, uh, referred to as like this longest, darkest night. Like the dark holds on longer than is seemingly natural. Um, and there's no, there's no, you know, there's no light in the sky other than flashes of lightning, um, which seem to come at times that are advantageous to the enemy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. And and as I was thinking, as it went through, because you talked about the rider who basically comes from, you know, the fords of Aizen. He's he's coming mm-hmm. from right at Saruman's gates, and he's he's basically trying to tell the riders like, hey, you need to get Amor and basically go make a final stand because we're dead, right? Like. Mm-hmm. The it's the wolves of Isengard. They're all coming, and we can't do anything about it. And then we see like the the hope of the king because Theoden comes out and he says, he says, "I'm here, and we'll not return mm-hmm. without battle. We're not leaving without engaging." And it says that the man's face lightened with joy and wonder. That's in stark contrast to everything that Saruman has been doing. Right? It's all been despair. Wormtongue was dealing despair as we looked at last time. It's all mm-hmm. the heaviness in the air, and then. And then Theoden says something really interesting that we we both pegged and both highlighted, and that is um, Theoden says, You thought I remained in Metasil bent like an old tree under winter snow. So it was when you rode to war, but a west wind has shaken the boughs. It's it's very interesting that when Theoden comes out, Theoden is all about freshness and life, right? He even says, Mm -hmm. Give this man a fresh horse, like Mm -hmm. send him on his way. And that's in stark contrast where Saruman's forces, it's all about darkness. It's all about suffocating. It's all about darkening your visibility where Theoden really shines forth as, as the one who awakened him really is this, this bright, fresh wind, you know, this, this idea that that's what he's about. And so that's, that's kind of what I saw in the, in the buildup. And then, you know, Gandalf is going to show his quote wizardry, right? Mm-hmm. By, basically riding around and doing the dirty work of trying to gather a bunch of men and try to 
find allies and trying to get news, which is exactly how Wormtongue attacked him in the last chapter when he said, "What men do you bring? You don't, you don't actually bring us anything. We just want you just want us to give you stuff." And so Gandalf uses the exact gift that Theoden gave him, and he uses it to go bring Theoden men. And it's mm-hmm. meanwhile, what's Saruman doing? He's staying in his tower, yeah. sending his guys out. And I, yeah. I thought, I think you should say it. I thought in the wizarding thing and just, just a comment that you had about what wise people do in the story that mm-hmm. I want to tee that up for you. Cause I think it is a theme that's really important here. Yeah. No, it's something that, I, you know, really ever since the Gildor <laughs> encounter, which he's another, he's almost Bombadil-esque in how many times he's right. being referred to. <laughs> and I said that for your sake. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't think I was going to talk about Bombadil yeah. in this one. <laughs> but now that we're here. <laughs> now that we're here. Uh, but no, I think um, it, it's something that's really striking um, that the good and particularly wise or, or virtuous um, characters seem to desire counsel. And so there's this, there's tiny interchange. It's really short too. So it's kind of fascinating. So I'll just read the whole thing. So after, excuse me, just say. <clears throat> As soon as Gandalf rides away, um, there's a guard next to Hama, who is the door ward, uh, as we remember from, from the last chapter. The guard says, what does this mean? And Hama answered that Gandalf Greyhame has need of haste. Ever he goes and comes unlooked for. Wormtongue, were he here, would not find it hard to explain, said the other. True enough, said Hama, but for myself, I will wait until I see Gandalf again. And the other says, maybe you will wait long. Um, and so it's this, I think it's this desire, you know, of, uh, discerning and virtuous men to seek the counsel, uh, of, you know, of those around the world or just in, in, in what happenings, you know, are going on. And it's, it's something that's just, we've, I know we've caught on time and time and time again. And I think in this moment of buildup, you know, where they don't necessarily know the full scale of the enemy, um, the weapons they're bringing, the amount of their force, you know, and then, and Gandalf seeks, right. This discernible, uh, guard, uh, along with Hama desire to know what's, what's up so that I, I mean, seemingly so that they can protect their King. Mm-hmm. Um, cause we've seen that that's the great desire of the men of the Mark. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because the King, the King basically brings hope everywhere he goes. And I think there's probably something there, but, but also, you know, Aragorn as the as the aspiring king, the 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 basically king by lineage who doesn't have a throne. He's he's fighting in this chapter to to gain a kingdom, and I think in some ways Aramur is fighting to preserve his king and to have a kingdom because Theodred has died. But Theoden himself is being protected until the bitter end, and it's it's pretty interesting because of the way they think. Theoden is trying to get to the fortress so he can defend his people, right? But they have this exchange as the rumor of war is growing behind them. It says that they can hear the singing now. They can hear the the orcs singing behind them. And they're still running, running, running. And Theoden says that they have fire and they're burning everything on their way. It's like it's a total war thing, right? And Aragorn says, would that the day was here and we might ride down upon them like storm out of the mountains. It grieves me to fly before them. And mm-hmm. Amor tells him, we're not going to have to fly very long. We're almost to the fortress. But I think that's going to be that's going to be the, the difference really here between this. The story really has a, a theme of it is that kings have to they have to fight for their kingdom. And Theoden has a kingdom 
And so it's very important for his people to make sure that they have a king. For Aragorn, he doesn't have a kingdom yet, and so it's it's very important for him to make sure that he has a kingdom, if, if that makes sense. And so what we're going to see is Aragorn being extremely aggressive in this chapter, like Maybe maybe more than anywhere else except the paths of the dead. But he he is front and center in putting himself in tremendous risk the whole chapter. Where Theoden, mm-hmm. because he has a kingdom, Theoden is sitting in the back. He is there and he is marshalling and sending his troops out and they have hope and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and so but but Theoden brings the hope everywhere he goes. And for me, that's that's probably probably close to the end of I had about build up except a little bit about Legolas and Gimli. So I'll, I'll kick it to you before we sew that thing up. Yeah. Um, I don't think, um, I don't think I have anything else in the build up either. Um, I had, I'd also marked the Aragorn theme and I, and I do agree. And I think it's interesting because we do see, I felt like um, that Aomer and Aragorn are kind of the key players as we move into the battle. And I think, I think it's for the same reason is, is they're, they're fighting for a future kingdom. Their, you know, their defense is, is for men that they don't yet marshal under their command, right? Mm-hmm. They're, they're leaders, but it's, but it's a different kind of thing. They're, they're captains of war at this point, not, you know, not Kings of the, you know, of, of state. Mm. And it, it is cool. Like so, my last little bit was bef- before it starts. They get to Helm's Deep, and the place gets laid out. But Gimli, Gimli's comforted by the place, mm-hmm. and and he says that it's because it's it's this idea. And I I don't want to go too far because it's a possible thought to roam with, which I don't have in mind yet. But but Gimli, <laughs> Gimli really roots himself to this place. He says, "This is my liking." As as a composed or as opposed to Fangorn, he says, "There's there's good rock here. There's bones of the earth." He says, "My heart rises as we draw near the mountains." And then Legolas says, "You comfort me, Gimli, and I'm glad to have you standing with your stout legs and your hard axe." I wish there were more of your kin among us. He also says he wishes for a hundred good archers of Mirkwood, and. I think Tolkien scratches a little bit more at this theme here, again, where the good guys are once again on an island, right? Rohan mm-hmm. is here against this vast force that's fighting for their survival when everybody, like, you know, Mirkwood, the elves of Mirkwood, the, the dwarves of the Lonely Mountain, um, the people of Gondor, they're all kind of fighting their own battles on their own frontiers or staying watch on their frontiers. And to some extent... I would say that that's a way that Jackson kind of betrays this theme of the book by sending the archers of Lorien into the the battle. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't have a big problem with it because I think that what he was trying to do is I think in some way I think Jackson actually got this theme and was trying to show the hope of of what happens when people do honor old alliances when when the good guys mm-hmm. are together which is an important part of the story it just happens later in the story mm-hmm. but I, I do think Jackson was on to this theme and I think we see it right here is that they kind of lament that there's not more people to help them and this this thing seems overwhelming but Gimli is not overwhelmed he's looking forward to lopping some heads off and and I mm-hmm. think that shows the that shows just the character and the strength of heart of Legolas and Gimli that they're going to stand here anyway, 
And this is for a land that's not even theirs. This right. this is for love of Aragorn and for love of yeah. Amur and for love of Gandalf. Right. And I think for, yeah, and for regarding the enemy for, for what he is as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think, I think all those things are in play, um, you know, because there's, I think, <laughs> I think you see a joy in dispatching the enemy from, particularly from Gimli, mm-hmm. you know, where in some sense, the, and it makes sense, I think, in a lore sense, because, uh, you know, Gimli, like the orcs and the dwarves have a deep uh, heated, you know, rivalry mm-hmm. where, you know, his his people have had have been at long war with the orcs and right. And they've they've done atrocious things, particularly to right. Who was it was Thorin's grandfather or yeah, grandfather mm-hmm. who, you know, they desecrated his body mm-hmm. Um you know, and that, and that's not a thing that the that the dwarves forget. No, no, they really bitterly hate the orcs for sure. Mm-hmm. There there would ne- there would be no treaties ever between the orcs and and Durin's people. Yeah, yeah. So is it is it time for yeah. battle? Right. <laughs> I think it's time for battle. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I'll let you start it because yeah. I mean you've probably been waiting. This this is <laughs> you know I think we both see it clearly. This this truly is an Aragorn chapter. Yeah. Um, and it's really kind of from the get-go. Yeah. No, it is. I think um, where I wanted to start, you know, like uh, there's some there's some arrow volley uh, here and there is, you know, which we see in, um, you know, in old war films, usually the way a battle will start. It's the air cover, you know, so an infantry can move in. Um, but there's a little bit of that to start. But it's interesting because uh, Aragorn, I think in a couple of things, in a couple of ways, um, you know, Aragorn has kind of partnered himself with Aemir. Um, he, you know, he pulls them together and I think in friendship and I think in, I honestly, because, because Aragorn is so honorable, he hearkens back to Aemir's request of him to help protect his country. And he says, you know, he says, come, this is the hour when we draw swords together. That's and it says line. run it's a it's a great line and he says running like fire they sp- they sped along the wall up the steps and passed into the outer court um gathering swordsmen as they went and as they engaged the enemy um which maybe this is this is a spot that you've kind of pegged as we've moved through the story um they both cry out their sword name mm-hmm. Guthwine cried Aemir Guthwine for the mark Andoril cried Aragorn Andoril for the Dunedain uh and then charging, they they hurl themselves upon the wild men, and so <laughs> <laughs> I could read all this out loud and, <laughs> and and just enjoy it. But I think to start right um, as they engage the battle, you know, the 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 first engagement is probably is the hottest. Mm-hmm. Um, it's where the passion is highest. You know, it's the the adrenaline of the first encounter, and you know, I think I think Aragorn has that harnessed and, you know, and keeps his promise to Aemir, but also I think encourages and, and calls him forth. And mm-hmm. because of, because of both of these future Kings, right. The men around are emboldened to engage in the fight and, and, and battle in hope, right. Even though they're, they're outnumbered, I think they battle with the, the, the feeling that, that they're going to win the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's also, 
worth noting probably in that session that although Amir is a great captain of men, as we know, and he is virtuous and basically he's frankly just awesome, right? But mm-hmm. but in his he's fighting for his country, right? Mm-hmm. Guthwan for the mark. Aragorn is fighting for his people, this mm-hmm. people of lineage that we'll learn later is a small company, right? But it's his mm-hmm. heritage. And it's 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 very interesting to me that we've said the sword means the man, right? And what happens is, is the next paragraph basically doesn't mention Guthwine again. It talks about Andril gleaming with white fire and then shouts coming from the wall saying, Andril goes to war. The blade that was broken shines again. And then, mm-hmm. and then it tells us that the people who were trying to have siege instruments, like the, the wild men that they were fighting, had dismay. And they were, they were scared and that their shields were broken by, by like a lightning stroke. So mm-hmm. there's an idea in here that this mysterious band, the Dunedain, and Andril itself, it's a legendary blade that is that almost has magical powers that's kind of a larger than life thing. And I think we'll see this towards the tail end with Aragorn also at the near the end of the battle, that there's some kind of legacy going on here that Andril Andril, just like the man, is almost like a legend that's sprung into life. And the forces of evil don't really even know how to deal with that. And mm-hmm. I think, I think Tolkien shows it right there really quickly by saying, Amer, look, Amer is a, he's a seasoned captain and a, and a mm-hmm. valiant person, but he's not a legend. And, mm-hmm. and we get our first real true look at that. I think in this chapter that Aragorn is basically worth hundreds of men because of the, the legacy and the fear that he strikes in and in the hope that he brings into the people. He really truly is a, a Gandalf disciple, you know, mm-hmm. he, and you even see it with how it's described. It's lightning, right? Like that's what Gandalf does. There's this kind of idea that he, he starts to look like, he starts to look like the one who's taught him and he has this blade. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, you know, they charge, um, I want to, so they charge against the, um, you know, those kind of orcs that are coming to ram and batter the gate. Um, they drive many of them out. They drop the rams, but they, they are overnumbered. They are outnumbered. And so um, we kind of get Gimli getting into this first action, you know, where, <laughs> uh, you know, Aragorn uh, is held up and, um, or uh, Aomer struggles, and then I think Aragorn's tripped or something. I'm trying to remember, but yeah. Um, but Air- Gimli pops out of nowhere <laughs> and you know, and hews the head off of a couple orcs and protects Aomer. Mm-hmm. And so it's interesting because I think, and then there's a little more going on, but I think um, just Gimli's desire to jump into battle uh, again for I think for love of people, like you said, is is pretty fascinating because. You know, when, when they jump off the wall where when the enemy is kind of getting closer or getting over the wall, you know, he's he's like shouting like all of the dwarvish <laughs> war cries and because he's, he's been missing out on the battle. And so it's, you know, I think Gimli just continues to shine for me in, in the story because he's, um, you know, he's, he's true to his people, right? Again, we talked about early on, he wanted the company to sign a contract, in essence, to, to bind their word. Right. You know, and here, and here he is uh, comforting his elf friend and throwing himself into harm's way for Aragorn and Aomer, right, who are, who are two men. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, and in some ways, you know, you get a little interlude where it talks because I think the point is darkness. Like I think I think that's where we're getting because it talks right after that about um, the sky quickly clearing and a sinking moon was shining brightly, but that light didn't bring hope to the men because they started to see all the forces that were arrayed. I, I think there's this kind of this kind of idea is that for a moment there there might have been you know they beat him back so you see you know kind of these celestial bodies that give they give peace and give light but this light it's the lesser light than the sun right i think that's notable based on what happens in the rest of this chapter it's the lesser light and this light is the one that wolves howl at and it's the one that you, they just they just see what they're up against and it's going to take it's really going to take Aragorn and Amr and Legolas and Gimli to just keep their will to to keep the people fighting throughout the night because really the whole thing is they have to last through the night because mm-hmm. they they needed you know Gandalf was running around and they needed to to give him a chance to do what he needed to do so take us to our next place in the where you wanted yeah. to go yeah I think um, yeah so I think this is a good kind of the next point is um is that you're talking about hope and it's you know again aragorn um you know he says this is a night as long as years how long will the day tarry um and he says you know dawn is not far off he says gambling who's uh the old one of the old men that that's you know a keeper of helm's deep mm-hmm. um he says but dawn will not help us i fear and aragorn says yet dawn is ever the hope of men Mm. Um, and you know, which is, I think, and, and we see this, that theme kind of, again, I think there's a couple things to tie into there is that one, right. Is that, I mean, is that the bright light of the sun, you know, brings hope to men. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it's, it's, and it it is because it reminds us of the King, right? I think if you hearken back to the moment where, you know, the, the stray, soldier comes across Theoden, right? And his face is lightened by the king mm-hmm. because the king um, brings hope to the people that uh, that the people will stand, that the people are defended, that the king is watching out for them. And so I think you kind of get the same similar idea with the sun shining right on the day. And so mm-hmm. it is, it's, I think Aragorn understands that is that not that it doesn't like the sun doesn't change the the numbers count, uh, and we know that the Urukai that who's who's their assailant are not going to be swayed by the sun, mm-hmm. um, and so it's it's nothing like that. It it really is just I think that that men uh, men are reminded of 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 great kings who you know who lead who shine the light who um, who drive out the darkness of despair you know, mm. just, just by their presence. Mm-hmm. That's a really good point. It's, it's also that Aragorn, Aragorn is kind of the one he's looking to hope, but he's also provided light with Andrew, right. That was gleaming white that, that what he's done is provided some light to get through the dark night. And I think that's where, you know, it associates the moon and the pale stars with what's going on with him. And then I think the next little section there that I had, looked at is we get a little bit of a look into Saruman and how he's operated because what Saruman has done is he's taken these um these wild men and he's mm-hmm. inflamed he's inflamed like a a multi-century 
envy that they had against the the Rohirrim, and it, it was basically based on a land dispute, which most old feuds with human beings really are about land disputes. And what Saruman's done is it, it says that he's inflamed the hatred. So going back to kind of the wizard theme, right, what Gandalf is doing right now is he is riding around trying to unite all of the all of the good people of the West. And what Saruman has done is he's tried to divide men into factions, right? Mm. And we we will see later that this is a lie because these men are going to be surprised at the mercy that they get from the Rohirrim at the end of this ordeal. But mm-hmm. that, that's what he does is that Gandalf has power in riding it around and telling the truth and getting people together while Saruman... He, he deems it powerful to sit as a general in his tower and to try to cause factions to form so that they would he could turn those factions to get what he ultimately desires. Mm-hmm. So, so he uses these men and their ancient jealousy, and he tries to destroy people with it. Mm. And I think that is, you know, it seems like the, the common refrain for the crafty right, enemy you know, mm-hmm. we, we see we see that same idea from Sauron, and, and we've actually mentioned like the mouth of Sauron, right? Like when when we encounter him, you know, Saruman's doing the same thing. Is like he's he's sowing kernels of truth into deeper lies. Wormtongue did the same thing, mm-hmm. you know, to create division and despair, to try to, you know, to try to get one to turn on another, and you know, and it goes all the way back to you know, to the first father where, right. What, what Satan says to Eve is basically to, to distrust the word that her husband has given from the, from God. Mm-hmm. Right. Did he say, <laughs> you know, and so, so what, what he's ultimately doing, it's, it's not about, it's, it's about the little lie that creates isolation mm-hmm. because the enemies know Saruman knows it is if he can isolate the Rohirrim from, you know, from their surrounding friends or from people who are, you know, who could be gathered to them in a force against him. If he can sow that seed of division, then he weakens, you know, and, and so we, we kind of have the same thing going here where, you know, the craftiness of the enemies in the, in these cases are, are to sow seeds of despair, to sow seeds of destruction that create rivalry, um, as opposed to union. Hmm. It's so it's so interesting because that part is brought up almost as a moment of despair because gambling is talking about like how how horrible it is that the hatred because the those men are saying that they want to just take the king and kill him right and but then what Aragorn does is he he quotes the Rohirrim's own song to them and he he says. Um, is it not said that no foe has ever taken the Hornburg if men defended it? Amor says, so the minstrels say. And Aragorn says, then let us defend it and hope. Very mm-hmm. interesting that Amor's almost saying like, well, that's a that's just an old song. That's, that's just kind of an old idiom that's passed its way down. <laughs> and and Aragorn, Aragorn's saying, well, we're going to latch on to that, right? Because it's rooted in some kind of history. Like there's a reason mm-hmm. that the minstrels sang that song. There's a reason that that's become a, a proverb that's passed down through Rohan. Very interesting that, you know, Aragorn just knows this culture so well. 
Uh, he knows the language. Yeah. He knows their he knows their proverbs, and mm-hmm. he quotes them to inspire these men to have hope. Like it, he's, right. You know that's why he's the star of this chapter. He's he's yeah. just so prepared for this. He's such a right. higher quality man. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. He he. You know he kind of checks all the boxes. He has right. He has the education. He has the uh, fortitude in battle. You know he has the lineage. He has the uh, you know the ranger, the tracking. Um, but he has the stateliness as well. Um, and then on top of that, he has goodness, but he also has justness. And so, mm. you know, he, you know, we get, and we get pieces of all of those things from him. Cause even when he deals with the orcs, uh, later, you know, his parley on the wall, like he doesn't, right. They, they speak crudely to him and he, he doesn't speak that way. Now he, he gives a warning and says, right. Basically he's giving them uh, a mercy says, turn now before the dawn right. and you'll be left to take tidings back north. If you stay, you know, you'll all be destroyed. Um, and so, right, there's, there's, there's an element of that where, cause and I don't, it's not bluster from him. No, no, I don't think so. I think he, he has, he has foresight, right? He, mm-hmm. he has in, in some ways we'll, we'll get a, a different look at it with the pucal men later, but he, I think, yeah, almost smells something in the wind, right? Or it has, mm-hmm. has a sense because he does keep talking about the dawn and it's, it's mm-hmm. like, you just, we have to last till the dawn. Um, so then we get, yeah. it's right to the devilry of Saruman. Yeah. You know, where Saruman has concocted, you know, something where the orcs bring it into the culvert where the river comes in and they, it blows the wall up. And mm-hmm. so now there's a huge breach in the wall and, yeah. With the numbers disadvantage, it makes it almost impossible. They have to retreat at this point because yeah. they can't defend that big of a, a breach in the wall. Um, what I just wanted to say on Saruman and, and that, I think t- what Tolkien is trying to put in here is that basically Saruman acts in an unnatural manner. We already know that at least his orcs think that he feeds them man's flesh, right? That's very unnatural and disgusting. We know that he sows division and and tries to get factions to to hate each other. But here we also see that he he is basically sat in there and concocted things that just destroy you know cuz Gimli I don't think it's an accident that Gimli talked about this being like the earth's bones, right? That this mm-hmm. thing like the craftsmen of Gondor almost went with the earth here, right? That they they crafted something that leaned into the way that the geography naturally was, and that's what made this fortress so strong, right? Is mm-hmm. that it was it was built into the mountain, and Saruman has found out a way to just undo nature, to just blow yeah. it apart, you know, to to tear the earth apart, and yeah. and he's a mimicry of Sauron who does that all over his all over his country and causes desolation. Yeah. Yeah. And I, um, I don't want to get too far afield, but I, I do think there's an element here too, where, um, where Tolkien experienced, you know, weapons of immense power in, you know, in the two world wars and he didn't fight in world war two, but you know, he would have been aware of what was going on where, you know, warfare changed from, what we see here where it's 
you know, physical close encounter engagement mm-hmm. to the ability to destroy just scores of people from long range or with small devices. And, and I think there is something that there, you know, that like there is a devilry to that mm. where, right. Because I, I, and, and I think, I think the, it, who was it? I think it was, Oh, I think it's in master and commander, right. It's like when captain Jack's or uh, Nope, Nope. It's gladiator. When he says, right. A soldier <laughs> has the ability to look his enemy in the eye. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and there is something to that where like, it's obviously it's grisly and, and dirty to fight hand to hand, but it's hand to hand, right? A man, right. A man with a sword isn't taking out dozens of, of men with one trigger pull or with one, you know, with one fuse lit and, and it becomes really impersonal, really industrial and really destructive, which is Mm anti-nature. Yeah. Just killing machines essentially. Mm -hmm. Right. So are we, are you wanting to jump to Theoden now? That's kind of my stuff where I'd hit the next thing. Yeah, I think, yeah. Is that, sorry, is that before the wall? I think they're all kind of together there. Yeah, the wall gets blown. Gimli Gimli gets kind of swept away in between. He's going to have to fight his way back to position of safety. Ammer is also kind of split off. And And that... Yeah. Yeah. And that was why I labeled the last turn brightness is because Tolkien does separate our heroes where Gimli's been pushed back into a cave. Um, Aemir's been pushed back into an alcove as well. And, uh, you know, Aragorn and Legolas, I believe they're together, but they're, they're pushed deep into the King's tower at this Mm -hmm. point. So it's really dark, right? It's it's, it's on the last legs. It's really dark, and and kind of to to the point earlier is even this force in this location is divided now, right? Where their strongest captains are split completely apart, um, and so right, so Aragorn beseeches the king to ride out. Mm-hmm. It, it's interesting to me though that Theoden almost almost slid back into the spare. He he said. Had I known that the strength of Isengard has grown so great, maybe I should not so rashly have ridden forth to meet it for all the arts of Gandalf. His counsel seems not so good as it did under the morning sun. So mm-hmm. there's the sun again, right? Is that mm-hmm. all this bravery and defense and stuff sounded really good when it was daylight because that's the hope of man. And Aragorn says, do not judge the counsel of Gandalf until all is over, Lord, mm-hmm. which is which is wisdom. But then... I think Theoden quickly repents of that despair and he goes on really the best course of action that's possible because it is his idea. He says, I will not end here taken like an old badger in a trap. When dawn comes, I will bid men sound Helm's horn and I will ride forth. Will you ride with me then, son of Arathorn? Maybe we shall cleave a road or make such an end as will be worth the song if any be left of us hereafter. And Aragorn just says simply, I will ride with you. Mm-hmm. So it is yeah. the king of the kingdom who is basically making his final stand and his final stand is going to be a war of aggression. And really I would say a war of Rohan, right? Mm-hmm. That, that Rohan is all about riding on cavalry and going yeah. to attack the enemy that way. And and maybe that's why, you know, they're in desperate straits to be holed up in this rock fortress because really where they excel and where they're strongest is, 
is on horseback, and that's that's yeah. really where their arts are. And so he's not going to fall back into despair. He's going to meet death really with hope, right? Hope of the dawn, mm-hmm. hope of a legacy, hope of his greatest desire is to to be worthy of his ancestors. And I think that's why he's always talking about that. Mm-hmm. Is that he wants to he wants to end well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah, and then I think Tolkien kind of sets this up because he's right. He's going to summon, and then he's also uh, at the dawn. Um, they'll sound the horn uh, of Helm, and and so then there's this last little line I think that kind of brings the despair to you know to its last head where. Um, grappling hooks were hurled it's fire blasts of fire continue to leap from below shaking the stones basically the whole the whole keep is just trembling now mm-hmm. you know um, it's about to be completely overrun they're blowing holes in the wall everywhere um, and then and then Aragorn hops on to the gate to you know he raises his hand and parlay <laughs> and <laughs> You know, and they say, you know, come down and bring out the king. You know, continuing to say, we're the fighting Urukai. Um, I think the line, you know, the line that I that I highlighted out of all this is, uh, you know, they say we come to kill by sun or moon. Mm-hmm. W- what of the dawn? And Aragorn says, none knows what the new day shall bring. Get you gone ere it turn to your evil. You know, mm. and so. Um, and then he reminds the orcs too that no enemy has taken the Hornburg. Depart, or not one of you will be spared. Not one will be left alive to take back tidings. You do not know your peril. Hmm. But I and do know my hops, thoughts are run with now. <laughs> yeah, and then you know, and then of course, and he hops down to to get ready for the ride. Um, anything left? I think that's kind of closed the battle because now it's now's the transition point where yep. basically uh, we have multiple things going on there's the sound of it seems like there's a sound of a wind or tree moving um there's a the sound of the horn which basically shakes the whole valley Mm -hmm. and and all of the enemy freeze um and tremble uh and then we have the sound of of an oncoming uh enclave of soldiers standing Mm -hmm. behind the white rider yeah, it is interesting to me that, you know, as, as dire straits as it is, the, the, the castle has basically been completely breached. And when when Theoden yells forth the Erlinges and they they ride down on their horses, it also says that the men men issued from the caves. Like basically all of Rohan came out to their king's banner, right? And and I think it look, Tolkien, I don't it's subtle in a sense, but it's not subtle for Tolkien is that he really is the playing up this thing that that basically great nations you know as an Englisher he would he would have had this idea you need to have this great monarchy or this lightning rod right that that rallies all of the people together and I, I think that we've seen that as true throughout history is that that great nations have have great men that are lightning mm-hmm. rods and again sad state of where we are today 
but mm-hmm. what we see is that Rohan really does have a great man and that his successor is also a great man. And so all of those, all the people, they don't fear death anymore, or if they fear it, it doesn't matter next to the call because they're all going to come out of the caves and basically still face the impossible odds. R- remember, I mean, this army has just invaded the impenetrable castle. They've, mm-hmm. they've broken it apart and they're in there, but, but Rohan is going to come out and fight and not hole up and not try to escape through secret, secret paths. Mm-hmm. And then you get the yeah. White Rider, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. And then, yeah, there suddenly upon a ridge appeared a rider clad in white, shining in the rising sun. And so it's interesting there because at that point, Theoden has ridden out from the gates, right? He's brought his light, and it says he, it, it says that he rode uh, into the middle of the dike. So he carved a road, Um down the gateway and into the middle of the valley. So basically they've trodden through many enemies at this point into the middle. Um, Mm. And so as the king has ridden out and brought the light of his kingship into the middle, at the same time shining in the rising sun is the white rider, Mm. you know, and, and over the low hills, the horns were sounding. And so the banner call, you know, the answering call to Helm's horn is coming and and then it's <laughs> and and then it's just fear and fury, <laughs> right? Yeah, it says to close it out. Yeah, it says the white rider was upon them, and the terror of his coming filled the enemy with madness. They all basically threw down their stuff and ran away, or the orcs ran away, and they uh, <laughs> one of these end of chapter ones, right? Wailing, mm. they passed under the waiting shadow of the trees, and from that shadow, none ever came again. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. So so Gandalf Gandalf came and he brought Erkenbrand to mm-hmm. defend his own keep, right? To yeah. as, to basically assault his own keep from the outside because it's been taken. And Gandalf comes down and obviously there's power that he possesses, much in the same way that we saw Andril earlier. That yeah. just just his being there means that you know the the wild men they just threw they just lay down. I mean they just mm-hmm. lay down on their faces so he wouldn't kill them. But he yeah. also brought this he brought this group of trees on the move who we'll learn later are the Huorns and that their mm-hmm. their beef is with the orcs. So the Huorns come kinda like the Urukai to kill orcs who have been chopping down all the trees and Gandalf drives them into into that forest and, and we see a little taste of the, the power of Fangorn here because these aren't even the ants. These are mm-hmm. these are just trees. Yeah. And I yeah, and I think um, Legolas has the line right here when he says, Mithrander, Mithrander, this is wizardry indeed. Right. And so, which is interesting because, you know, we don't, you know, we don't see the visual effect of, you know, the explosions that Saruman gets us, mm-hmm. the, um, the industrialized, uh, wizardry that destroys, you know, and, and destroys the earth. This this wizardry unites the men together, right? This is a wizardry that that um, that brings unity to to separated parties, mm-hmm. you know, because because unity exists in the mission. Yeah, it's also interesting that Legolas here almost bookends from early in the chapter where Gimli was talking about being comforted by the mountain. Legolas says that he would look on this forest ere the spell changes. So mm-hmm. Legolas is drawn to look at these trees that that are so dangerous to the orcs, but are not dangerous at all to Legolas, who, who's an elf who 
loves the trees. It's pretty right. It's pretty interesting. He he just he weaves all that in together into yeah. you know this one package that really is a huge battle, but it's it's got all these sub things going through it. But it really is yeah. just great action. You know that right. The the yeah. Gimli and Legolas Countathon. You got you got a little bit of Gandalf. Yeah. You got a lot of Aragorn. You just got yeah. lots of really cool stuff. Now yeah. I have once again. I think it's your turn now. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure it's my. I think turn we did now. two and two. Did we do two we and did, two? Okay. We did two and two. Okay, yeah. so but we haven't talked in two weeks. So that's that's true. Okay, so I actually made a middle note. Don't forget who's the thoughts Rome, you idiot. And and here we are. I forgot, but I think it's yeah. you. You gotta make you gotta make a list. <laughs> That's right. Um, oh man, I had a thought to roam with earlier. It kind of popped into my mind, and now it it popped back out. Um, I think it's this. I do think it is. Um, I think the theme that continued to stand out to me was was the rising dawn, the hope of uh, you know the hope of the dawn and the the sun shining, and in in this story particularly I do think I do think that 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 dawn is is associated with the kings um it's tied to Theoden it's tied to Gandalf it's tied to Aragorn um and and that's instructive for us so I think for for us is um to tie that to the to the greater sun which is um right the the light of Christ and you know for us to right to allow the light not to resist the light, but to allow the light to shine in the darkness of our hearts, right? For repentance, but also to shine out of us into the darkness of the world. Cause, cause the only way, the only way that we beat back the enemy, right. Is to be united under the bright light of the, of the King. Mm. And, and so like, regardless of right again, and, and it's, it's so beautiful. What Tolkien does is there's, there's a dwarf, uh, a wizard, a an elf and lots of men who are all united by the same sun and right and we have the same obviously we don't have races like that but we have we have you know we have factions and and they're factions that don't have to divide us right Mm -hmm. because we're united under the sun Mm. that's a good one so i am going to go with the idea that popped up it was about the the minstrel singing that um, no one has ever taken the Hornburg when men were there to defend it, and it recalls to me one of my look repetition is the key to learning, so I'm going to do it <laughs> again. I don't know when the last time I did it on thought to roam with, but it is a huge thought for me in the Christian life, and it it comes the the main point of it is in Hebrews 11, but I started to I started to trace it through a lot of the great sermons of the New Testament, like Peter's sermon, Stephen, uh, even John the Baptist. I think that there's a great sermon in Nehemiah chapter 9. And what happens over and over again is that God's people remind, like his, his preachers remind his people of their history. And so what brought hope to Aragorn here, the hope to get through the night, was A, trusting Gandalf, but I think maybe even more so was this trust in the history that there's this idea, right, that the Ro- Rohirrim have known that throughout all of their centuries that no one has ever been able to take the Hornburg when men defended it. It was so true that that's become a proverb of the people. 
And so what what Aragorn does is he doesn't draw on his own strength with Andril. He doesn't draw on the strength of Aemir. He doesn't draw on superstition or anything like that. Because even when he does parley and the orcs make fun of him, he quotes this line to them, right? He tells them this proverb. And I think what Tolkien is trying to do is he's he's trying to show us that that history matters. That it's not it's not the good guys out on an island making stuff up on their own. That we can trust in the things that we've learned through our history, that we stand on the shoulders of giants. And so the thought to run with here is that as Christians, we can we can be joyful and take heart in knowing that many, many people have gone before us, that we have a great cloud of witnesses, that we have a historical faith, that we have we, we are built on things that are not just our our own ideas that we have to make up every single generation. There are mm-hmm. there are proverbs that get passed down through time. And I think in some ways that's I, I'd agree that your theme is the main theme in this chapter, but I think that there's a subcurrent that's going through underneath that that lets us get to your theme. And and that mm-hmm. would be it, right? The hope of all man is Christ. Yeah. But sometimes in the darkness when we don't when we don't see the light of Christ, one of the things that sustains us and holds us is that there are people who have gone before us. And so there's mm-hmm. a little bit of steel that gets put in there. So that's mm-hmm. my thought to run with. <laughs> and, and I think, that, Hey, it's our, our shortest one in a little while. That brings us yeah. to the end of Helm's deep. And I don't know if I have a, it's, it's, I'm so out of practice now. I don't know if I have a pithy thing to, to bring us to the next one. So I'll just, I'll just do this corny one, do dad joke. Join us again next time as we go on the road to Isengard. 